Welcome back, AM 1160 The Quest, Atlanta Catholic Radio. You are are, uh, listening to day two of our pledge drive, and we are grateful that you are listening. Actually, it's day three of our pledge drive when Father Silloway is going to be on, and we are grateful that you are listening. We are doing a pre-recorded segment because Father, Father, do you go by Father Michael or Father Silloway? Father Michael's great. Okay, so when Father Michael is generally going to be on, when he was planned on, he has a conflict. So we're, he was grateful. He was he was kind enough to give us a call, and we're doing a pre-recording so that he can still be in his time slot. So he's going to be taking after Padre Pio. He's going to be bi-locating. He'll be on Catholic Radio, and he'll be somewhere <laughs> else all at the same time. So we're grateful. We know that all good things begin with prayer, Father. So would you be willing to to start off the next hour with a prayer? Sure thing. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, we thank you and we praise you for this new day. We thank you and praise you, too, for the quest. And we thank you for this new opportunity to evangelize, to spread the good news, to share the gospel, to bring hope and salvation to every corner of these uh, where these radio waves reach. So let this time of this interview and this this whole project of this uh, fundraiser produce a bountiful harvest so that your word can be proclaimed and more and more people can come to know your love. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 All right. So, Father, a few rules before we get started with the interview. We get to ring this bell when we hit certain goals. So the first one is if we get a founder. A founder is somebody who says that they will give $100 a month for 36 months. They get their name on a plaque at the at the station here, and forever they get bragging rights that they are a founder of Catholic Radio, and they can even put it in their obituary someday. So whoever calls in at $100 a month for 36 months, since this is pre-recorded, we're going to have to ring the bell in your honor whenever it's playing. If we, if we get some calls during this, we're going to ring it in your honor, and we're going to let you know that we did that. So that's Excellent. one way. Sounds great. Okay. Another way is if we meet our goal. And our goal for this hour is $1,500 called in. If we can get another $1,500 called in, it becomes $3,000 for Catholic Radio. And we, <coughs> excuse me, and we ring the bell. <coughs> so those are the two ways that we're going to ring the bell. And so that's that's basically how we're going to do it. I will be interrupting you every so often to give out the phone number to call. I'll do it right now. And then if you could share with us a little bit about your vocation story and your journey to the priesthood to get us started, and then we'll go a little bit further. So the number to call, 678-688-4549. Again, that's 678 688 We are talking with Father Michael Silloway. He's the pastor at Christ our King and Savior. And we are grateful for him being with us um, in this pre-recorded segment today. So, Father, can you start us a little bit about your journey into the the priesthood? (laughs) Sure thing. It would be an honor. It's it's a powerful story, and I I always love reflecting on it myself because it reminds me of the good things the Lord has done. Um, So... I was, I would consider myself more or less a uh, normal teenager and uh, had the same desires of most of the kids now. I wanted to uh, have a family. I wanted to have a successful job. At the time, I really wanted to be a pilot. I had uh, great desires of, of flying and making a living, uh, working for the airlines, perhaps in the military. Um, 
So as in the most formative time of my life, when I was at the University of Georgia, the venerable and blessed mm. University of Georgia, <laughs> uh, I was there in my first, my first year. I had joined the uh, Air, Air Force ROTC program, thinking that going into the Air Force after graduating college uh, would get me on a military career and then into a commercial airline career. And uh, I could fulfill my desire to uh, and love for aviation that way. Um, well, those people who know me and uh, know I'm a, I'm a relatively large man, um, and uh, the Air Force looked at me kind of with a quizzical eye, thinking, you've got a lot of getting in shape to do before you can do this. As it turns out, I failed my very first physical fitness test mm. um, for Air Force ROTC on the morning of September 11th, 2001. Wow. And uh, the events of that day that all of us remember exactly where we were um, it shook me to the core, and it motivated me in a really big way to say that I really want to uh, do this. I want to fight for my country. I want to protect the freedoms we enjoy and the people I love here. And uh, so I actually got into really great shape and continued down the path of uh, going into the Air Force. Well, at the end of that first year, uh, I, as I was going through the process of becoming an official cadet, um, they got a hold of my medical history, in which it's very clear that I'm asthmatic and I'm partially colorblind. And both of those are automatic disqualifiers in the military. And uh, I remember being called into Colonel Harrington's office. She was the head of our detachment, and she said, Michael, you've made great progress with us, but uh, you're not going to be able to fly a desk in the military. So I was a little devastated. Um, all this hard work, it seemed, for naught. At the same time, a relationship I had been in since high school, uh, for multiple years in high school, came to a crashing end um, as, uh, as we had been geographically separated by a significant distance. So there I was right near the end of my first year of college, and uh, uh, what was I supposed to do now? The, the girl that I thought, and with all the high school romance, I thought, this is going to be it. Well, that was out of the question, and now... I, my trajectory to becoming a pilot is now dramatically undercut, and it seems impossible. Um, so once kind of the dust settled from all that life drama right there at the end of my first year of college, uh, I was finally able to start listening to what the Lord had in store, almost as if he had a plan from the beginning. That was even better than my, mm. my wildest imaginations. So uh, I started going to Mass regularly. Not that I had fallen away terribly, but I went more frequently to daily Mass and was participating more in the spiritual life. I started asking priests, how, how do you know if you're, if you're called to be a priest? Because I've got this feeling inside. And I, I had a lot of good uh, conversations with uh, Father Larry Nee. He was pastor of St. Joseph's at the time. Father Brian Higgins was the vocations director. I hadn't met with him yet, but he, he factors in pretty soon here. Um, so the, the more that I was uh, drawing into my relationship with the Lord and trying to be um, at least open to what he had in store for me, because my plan had fallen apart. Um, it became very clear that, that, in fact, he did have a plan for me. And through conversations with people, through my experiences in prayer, uh, I got to the point where at the end of my second year of Georgia, uh, I went and started talking to the vocations director. And over that summer, uh, he handed me the application and said, you know, you've been sitting on this for a couple of months. Um, I think it's time you fill out the application and see what happens. So I did, and I got all my letters of recommendation and psychological evaluation and all the things you have to do uh, to apply. And uh, lo and behold, the Archdiocese accepted me and transferred me out of Georgia 
and sent me up to Franciscan University of Steubenville. Mm. Mm. And it was there, it was there at Franciscan University of Steubenville that I had what I would consider uh, my evangelization moment. That's where I encountered the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. I had been to Mass just about every Sunday my whole life growing up. I had a great family, and I had the great uh, wisdom, love, and experience and faith of my grandparents and my mom and dad. Um, but it became very tremendously heartfelt and personal uh, through the encounter I had with the Lord at Franciscan University. Uh, I'll be forever grateful uh, for the education I received there, the, the evangelization I received there, the friends I made there. So after three years, living in this, uh, what, I, what I call my three-year retreat, mm-hmm. uh, being there at Franciscan, uh, I had a, a chance meeting with Archbishop Gregory, uh, who had just been installed as our, our new bishop, and he said, Michael, what would you think if I sent you to Rome? Hmm. I'm like, oh, well, Archbishop, uh, let, me, let me think about that and pray about that. Uh, but deep in my heart, I'm thinking, what an incredible opportunity this would be. Um, so um, after truly taking it to prayer and talking to my family about it, um, I said, yeah, if the offer's still on the table, I'd love to go to Rome. So I was sent after graduating to the North American College, um, and the Pope's backyard, Riley, the Pope was in our backyard at the seminar, I'd say. And, um, but we, uh, uh, over there for, for five years, uh, studying at the Gregorian University, started by St. Ignatius of Loyola for the first three years, and then the, the second two years, getting uh, an advanced license degree from the John Paul II Institute for Studies in Marriage and the Family. Hmm. Um, uh, being ordained a deacon in St. Peter's Square on October the 8th, 2009, and then ordained a priest to the Cathedral of Christ the King by the grace of God on June 26, 2010, with five other great Atlanta men who became priests of Jesus Christ that day. Yes. Um, it's been an incredible, incredible journey. Um, and it's true that the, the Lord has a much better plan in store than we can possibly imagine for ourselves. Yes. Ah, so good. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I want to give out the number again. We would love to get some phone calls coming in. We want to ring the bell if we get a founder. We want to ring the bell if we get $1,500 called in. We will let Father Michael know if you call in in his honor. If you want to give us give him a message, we love you, Father. Thank you for all that you do. I'll make sure personally that he gets all of those messages because since this is pre-recorded, we want to thank him for being a part of the Catholic radio, even when it wasn't completely convenient. So we are we are grateful for the time that he's taking with us. The number to call, 678-688-4549. It is much, not, not nearly as much fun if you do a pre-recorded than if you're here in person and ringing the bell and seeing the phone calls come in and all of that. So we are grateful that you are willing to do this. And uh, so we would love it if our listeners would call in and make a pledge, and we will let him know that you called in his honor. Again, 67—I'm uh, I'm giving out your number, Father Michael. I'm looking at the wrong oh, don't number. Do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Six seven eight six eight eight four five four nine. Annie's dying over here. You know, I've been doing interviews since seven o'clock this morning. Holy cow! So, God love so it. yeah. Six seven eight six eight eight four five four nine is the number to call. Sorry about that, Father. Maybe Annie will edit it out for me. All right. So, so here we go, and uh, we are going to talk a little bit more. You you talked about how um, you were in. 
Rome, and you were ordained in 2010, so you were there during John Paul II's pontificate. So can you talk to us a little bit about what it was like to be there with, with his leadership there in, in Rome? Well, actually, um, I, I got to Rome in 2006, so uh, was, yeah, just a year into Pope Benedict. Okay, all um, right. But, but um, John Paul II and I, the, the great Saint Paul, Saint mm. John Paul II, is a, an absolute bastion of my own personal kind of intercessory team that I call upon in heaven. He's he's a model of priesthood for me and a model of, of Christianity. Um, I was doing a study abroad in Austria um, in the spring of 2005 with Franciscan University, mm-hmm. and um, that's the the year that he died. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember um, that we were uh, on a train coming back from a, a weekend trip. I forget where I'd gone with my friends that weekend, but we were coming back, and as we were getting, pulling back into um, uh, a place where we connected to get back down to our school, uh, we had heard that the, the Pope died. Mm. And it was a devastating moment, because uh, John Paul II um, uh, revolutionized the way that I looked at the Gospel, revolutionized the way I looked at humanity and the human person, um, he he preached the gospel to me. Mm. Um, he he revealed the love of Christ uh, through his pontificate and through his witness. Um, so hearing that he had died was was a was a blow and a crush. Um, but I remember also very fondly uh, playing an ultimate frisbee game uh, just a few weeks later, and uh, one of the sisters, one of the religious sisters of the TOR Franciscans, Third Order Regular comes running out into our, our field screaming, white smoke, white mm-hmm. smoke, white smoke. And so we all come running inside, and we, we cram into uh, the, there's only two rooms at the time that had TVs in them. And uh, so the guys in one, the girls in another, and watching uh, Pope Benedict come out. Now that, in my lifetime, that was the first time that there'd been a, a, a papal conclave and a new pope. Yes. And so it's like, what, what does this mean, having a new pope? What is this going to be like? Uh, how do you follow John Paul the Great, yeah. you know? Um, and then um, getting over to Rome and drawing very, very, very close to the theology and the love of Jesus Christ of Pope Benedict. Um, he was, to me, and in my own formation, my own understanding of the gospel and the priesthood and the church and the mission, the perfect follow-up uh, to St. John Paul II. Uh, you, you may have seen this meme online. It's, it's pictures of Earth three most recent popes. You got John Paul II, and underneath it says, hope. And then underneath uh, Pope Benedict, it says, faith. And then underneath Pope Francis, it says, love. Mm. Um, so the three uh, cardinal virtues, theological virtues, excuse me, uh, represented by, by the, the styles, the charisms of these three, these three popes. Um, so most of my time, and all of my time in Rome, as a matter of fact, was with uh, Pope Benedict. Um, and... Uh, getting to meet him on a few occasions, which were life-changing moments, incredible moments that I'll never forget. Um, being there as well for the, uh, the Beatification Mass of St. John Paul II, um, when I had just been ordained a priest and I had just finished my thesis at the institute named in his honor, the John Paul II Institute for Studies and Marriage and the Family, yes. um, where I had written about um, celibacy in the theology of the body. Turned in my thesis, and the very next day was the Beatification Mass, and by a luck of the draw, I was a communion distribution priest. Mm. So I got to be in St. Peter's early in the morning, um, 
when his uh, casket was brought out and laid there, um, and uh, and then had a really, really, really good seat in St. Peter's Square uh, for the Beatification Mass itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I can't speak to the uh, what it was like to be in Rome under his leadership, but certainly being in Rome under his inspiration, under his intercession, uh, his patronage, uh, was an incredible grace and a tremendous gift. Oh, very good. All right. So you mentioned <clears throat> the the John Paul II Institute in Rome for Studies in Marriage and the Family, and your thesis on on celibacy and the theology of the body. So many people, when they hear the word celibacy, they're really thinking, "Oh, that's just for priests." So can we talk a little bit about how that applies to to priests, but also to to those in marriages and and apply that a little bit and talk about that with our listeners. Oh, yeah. Before you do we that, to... though, I'm going to give out the phone number, 678-688-4549 is the number to call. We are trying to get $1,500 called in, and we ring the bell in Father's Honor because this is pre-recorded. We're also trying to get a founder, and we ring the bell in Father's Honor. So give us a call whatever amount, whether you can give a one-time pledge, a monthly pledge, Whatever you can give, just pick up the phone right now and give us a call, 678-688-4549. We are in our pledge drive. We are trying to raise the necessary funds to keep Catholic Radio strong in Atlanta. Right now you have this wonderful 50,000-watt AM station. There is not a stronger AM station available, and there are about seven of those. I don't know the exact number, but somewhere around seven in the whole country that are Catholic that are that strong of a signal. So you are very blessed to have that station here in Atlanta, and we would love to do really well during the pledge drives so that we can keep it strong. And that really is up to each of our listeners to give us a call, 678-688-4549. We're talking with Father Michael Silloway. He is the pastor of Christ our King and Savior, and we are grateful for him taking some time to do this pre-recorded segment with us. And so I asked you about uh, celibacy and the theology of the body and the the thesis that you wrote. Right. So I would just make one distinction. What what every single person is called to is chastity. Ah, and there you go. And uh, priests and religious make a promise of celibate chastity, um, which is, is a complete one hundred percent donation of self to God and to the church. Mm. Um, so even. Every motion of the heart, every longing and desire uh, is given over to Christ and uh, for the building up of the kingdom. Yes. So, but what, what I think you were trying to get at was that chastity, it, oftentimes people think, oh, that's just for, you know, the religious, for priests and for nuns and whatnot. Um, but no, no, chastity is a virtue that is meant for every single soul. And what John Paul II uh, highlights so dramatically and powerfully throughout the theology of the body is that without the virtue of chastity, one cannot love at all. We are not truly loving if we are not exercising the virtue of chastity. Because what chastity is, is the virtue that orders all of our sexual desires towards the truth of love, which is total self-gift, which is willing the good of the other as other. So it's, it's not self-interested, it's not about the pleasure, it's not about any benefits, it's complete gift, what is good for the beloved, that is what I do. And 
chastity is this virtue that works within the soul to help order all of our desires, to help us know uh, when we're, we're faced with a moment of temptation or we're faced with a moment of choice, to be able to engage our willpower with grace to point that choice and that action toward this kind of true love, sacrificial love, modeled after the, uh, the death of Christ on the cross for us. Mm. Um, and that is something that is for absolutely everybody. Uh, chastity doesn't mean what so many people uh, think it does, that it means um, that, that we never think about uh, sexual intimacy or we don't act on sexual intimacy. Far from it. Uh, married couples have to be chaste if they want to love one another. But that means that they're sharing in the fruit of their love. They are they're in, engaging in the promises they made on their wedding day. And as Scripture even itself says, that the, the two become one flesh. Mm. Um, that is holy. That is chaste. That is true love uh, when couples share in that married, marital, uh, marital love in that way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a pet project of mine to, at any opportunity I can to help people understand uh, that chastity is a virtue that makes it possible for you to truly love in the first place. Mm. It doesn't mean what all these uh, kind of modern psychobabalists uh, would put out there and propose it. Uh, it means the integration of all desire, sexual desire within the human person, aiming it toward the truth of love. Mm. That's that's really beautiful. All right, I also understand, and I'll ask you the question, then give out the number again. I understand that you're very active in pro-life ministry and in pro-life advocacy. So can you share with us a little bit about your work in, in this ministry? Again, the number to call, 678-688-4549. Come on, give us a call. Let's ring these this bell. Let's, let's ring the bell in celebration when we get $1,500 called in. Let's ring the bell in celebration when we get somebody who calls in at $100 a month for 36 months. But whatever it is, whether it's $100 a month for 36 months, for 12 months, whether it's a $100 one-time pledge, $5 a month, one-time $5 pledge, whatever it is, whatever the Holy Spirit is calling you to do, please just give us a call and and really become part of the team. Become part of the, the Catholic Radio family. You know, all of a sudden, when you become a donor for Catholic Radio, it goes from being the Catholic Radio station to becoming my Catholic Radio station because you take ownership in it. And it is very real because all of Catholic Radio is listener supported. So we need your help. That's why we interrupt regular programming. We get to have great guests on when we do this, like Father Michael Silloway, and we are grateful for his time here today. Uh, but but the reason that we interrupt regular programming is in order to raise the necessary funds to keep Catholic Radio on the air. So can you please give us a call, 678-688-4549. And again, if you want to call in and say, Father Michael, we love you, we appreciate you, we are so glad that you are our pastor. Whatever you'd like to say, we'll make sure that he gets all those messages since uh, he's doing this pre-recorded. We won't be able to give it to him on the air, but we will make sure that he gets all those messages. All right, so so back back to that question about uh, pro-life mi- in ministry and advocacy. Yeah, um, so it, it's true. I, I, I do... Never enough. It's never enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it, it is a, a critical part of uh, what I've seen as, as my role and responsibility as, as a priest. And how I got into it was, again, back at Georgia, um, I remember being a, a teenager, again, more or less normal, 
um, I, I did go to church and whatnot, and I had a basic understanding of the faith, but I would never have wanted to impose my views on anybody. And right, we hear that argument so often. You know, I, I, I feel a certain way about the right to life, but I never want to impose that upon anybody else. And I was kind of in that camp. And um, I remember it was actually out in front of the Tate Student Union one day, uh, a pro-life group came and set up this display of the reality of what abortion is. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was pictures that I will not describe, um, but they ruined my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sickening. It was painful. Um, and I remember talking to some of the volunteers that were there, and they were just giving out some statistics and whatnot and just helping people to see what, what this looks like. Um, and that was a, a cataclysmic moment. So just, just as, you know, the gospel had taught me to have a reverence for the poor, a reverence for the neglected, a reverence for the sick, a reverence for the imprisoned, it was undeniable to me at that point that the unborn child is, in fact, a human being, mm. and therefore worthy of my fight, worthy of my respect, worthy of my love, as is the mother in the crisis situation, as is the family and anybody involved in the crisis situation. But we have to do everything we can to help change hearts, to help them see that this isn't a blob of cells, it's not goop. Uh, this is a human being who's just not outside the womb yet. That may only be an inch, they may be a centimeter, it doesn't matter. When you've got a human life there, it's got to be defended. So it was, it was a galvanizing moment, uh, seeing that display, and then actually diving in and doing some research. And this was kind of at the the early days of, of the internet and everything and having internet at your fingertips when you could plug into a computer. So I started watching all kinds of videos, um, both on the, on the pro-life side and on the, the pro-choice side and trying to understand everything, trying to reconcile things. And I just became more and more solidified that this is a human being and we have to do everything we can to protect it and help change hearts so that they can see it too. Um, so, uh, the first um, kind of foray into the ministry I had was when I was at Franciscan University. Uh, they would go down to an abortion clinic in Pittsburgh every Saturday. And just to be a prayerful witness on the other side of the street, um, no megaphones, no loud signs, no pictures, but just standing there praying, very much like what 40 Days for Life does now. Mm-hmm. Um, Franciscan had a very similar ministry. And then there were, there were trained young men and women who were uh, sidewalk counselors, that um, as a woman was walking into the clinic, they would just say, we love you, we want to let you know what your options are. And just, just to give one last opportunity before, before the woman would go into the clinic. Um, that was powerful, mm-hmm. going there, seeing how many people went to visit this clinic that Saturday morning, praying, praying for the doctors inside, praying for the women who felt like they had no other choice, um, praying for the volunteers that were out there helping, um, escorting the women in and blocking them from seeing us and blocking them from, uh, just the, the message of love of the sidewalk counselors. Mm. Uh, I'm even just shaking now thinking about that whole experience. It was just, a, mm. it was very powerful. The, the realization of two people are going in and only one's coming out. Um, mm. wanting to love the mother, wanting to, to love the doctors, wanting to, with the love of Christ, cast out all fear, and praying earnestly for that. I would go back to that uh, clinic a few times throughout my course at Franciscan, 
And uh, then getting off into seminary, um, uh, most of the uh, ministerial work, you could say, that I had um, with the pro-life movement was, was mostly just in the education, uh, receiving a solid theological education from both the schools that I attended, and then pre- that preparing me for when I got back to uh, the United States. And uh, being at the Cathedral of Christ the King uh, for my first uh, full-time assignment, there's a very vibrant pro-life ministry there, great people involved there. Um, they go pray at the clinics, they get involved for the 40 Days of Life campaign. But uh, I was able to get, for the first time, um, at least in, in my recollection, if I'm wrong about this, somebody can correct me, but we put together um, a, a trip that was mostly for the, the teens and the, and the youth group, but also some of the young adults came as well to go to the March for Life in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been a few times with Franciscan, but uh, going again as a priest was really powerful, and bringing along teens. Uh, we, were, and we were mostly young ladies. I think we had three or four guys that came along, too. Um, but mostly uh, these teens and then a handful of young adults, letting them see, because so many of the things they see about demonstrations in Washington, D.C. are these these angry mobs banging and tearing things in anger. But the March for Life is this completely different thing. It's, 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 it's an explosion of joy. Um, and even though we, we know we're fighting for something, the most significant thing that one could ever march for and fight for is, hey, let's stop killing millions of children a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's such a, a profound moment of joy and hope and love of, People crying out, we are the pro-life generation, and we're here to do whatever we can to support women in crisis pregnancy. We want to build up crisis pregnancy centers. We want to witness to the value of life and, and create the systems and the structures that are necessary so that nobody ever has to make that choice again. Um, and uh, it was so powerful for the teens. It was so powerful for me. And uh, pretty much every year since then, I've been able to go back to the March for Life with Christ the King, or when I was chaplain at St. Pius, um, we would go back um, every year, every January, uh, even when we were with this, uh, the big snowstorm that hit a couple years ago, and we got stranded there for a couple extra days. Um, but it was, again, it was so powerful. It's life-changing for the people that participate it, because you see hundreds of thousands of people uh, all fighting the good fight, proclaiming the gospel of life. Um, it's just, it's, it's a powerful, powerful thing. So I'm hoping uh, here now that I, I'm in this new role out here in Greensboro, um, that we can continue to build it up. We're obviously now in the, the month of October, Respect Life Month, mm. and our, our Respect Life Committee is, has all their wheels running. They've got all kinds of great initiatives going. Informational pamphlets are handing out. We had a, a rosary for life chain on the first weekend, a baby bottle campaign to support a, a pregnancy center. Um, we're doing a lot of, a lot of things, but uh, like I started off with, there's, there's always more to do because this is a battle for human hearts and human lives. Mm. And, and how do you see that, that battle going? You know, we just had the huge battle over Kavanaugh. Um, many are, are saying, and I, I tend to believe that, that it really wasn't over what they were saying it was. It was over Roe v. Wade. Where do you see us headed in the pro-life movement at this point. And before you answer that, I'll give the number 678-688-4549. 678-688-4549. 
1-888-346-9149 is the number to call. Can you call in? Make a pledge of any amount. We will give your messages to Father Michael Silloway, who is on the phone right now. And we are doing a pre-recorded interview that will be played. And uh, then he'll be on on Thursday, I think, from 10 to 11 a.m. And we are grateful for this pre-recorded interview. And we will give him all of the messages if you call in in his honor and so let's just get these phone lines lit up. Let's let's just make them, make them go. Get lots of calls coming in. 678-688-4549. Okay, so where do you see, you know, if, if you had a crystal ball, which we, we know that, that we don't have those kinds of things, but, but where do you kind of see things going with the pro-life movement at this point? Well, there's, there's obviously momentum. Um, uh, for the first time in a while, um, there's, there's, there seems to be some political light mm. at the end of the tunnel. You know, um, um, not only do we have um, uh, now a majority on the Supreme Court um, of justices who have in the past and at least spoken of the desire to, to vote pro-life and to, to undo the scourge of abortion in the nation, um, but we also have, uh, I think, at least five of them are Catholic mm. You know, um, so it's always kind of dumbfounded me that that's been the reality for, for a long time. We've, we've had a majority of the justices on the Supreme Court, whoever appointed them, but they were Catholic. And it just always kind of was, was shocking to me that, that you would have Catholics in such high place of, of governance and authority and jurisdiction, um, and they would turn their back on the most vulnerable. But there does say, it seem to be at this moment um, light for the first time in a long time that that if a, if a case were to come up to the Supreme Court, um, this could be the best chance we've got um, in, in since Roe v. Wade was was instituted as law mm-hmm. um, in in order to reverse it. Now, however, um, as I, as optimistic as I want to be, I, I don't foresee in the in the very near future. Um, the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. I, from from the research I've done and kind of the uh, where, where where my finger is on the pulse, I imagine there'll probably be a, a kickback to the states. If anything, mm-hmm. I'm hoping they do confront the issue. If if they're they've got integrity, if they've got um, a true care for all of the citizens of the United States, especially those that are unborn, um, they will take up this this cause and and reevaluate it. But I think they would they would kick it back to the states and let states determine um, whether or not abortion would be legal in in each of the the fifty states, which would be a step in the right direction. It's it's not the it's not the end goal. It's not the winning of the game. Um, but uh, what where where I stand is that yes, I want political victories. I, I want uh, to see the law reflect the truth that human life begins at conception. But I know that uh, no matter how many political victories there are, we are in a battle for souls and for human hearts. Mm-hmm. And so even once, once the law changes, and please God, let the law change, um, we still have an immense amount of work to do of helping almost half the nation uh, who, who don't recognize that the, the unborn child is a human being mm-hmm. and is worthy of the same love and respect as, as a person outside the womb. Um, so that's a battle for the heart and a battle uh, of truth in the mind as well, that we've got a long way to go 
a long way to go. So I'm optimistic, I guess cautiously optimistic is is how I'd phrase it, and, and recognizing that, that please God, if, if the, the, the legal battle and the political battle can be won, um, we still have a long way to go in terms of converting hearts to the truth. Yes, and, and prayer goes a long way in that, and, and so can we just stop for a minute, and you know, we have a potential 3.1 million listeners at the Catholic uh, Radio The Quest, 1160 AM, so can we just stop and ask all of our listeners to pray with us for an end to abortion? Would you mind Amen. leading us in that prayer? I'd be happy to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, for you are the giver of all life. Uh, You have knit each one of us together in our mother's womb. You love us and hold us in existence by your love. Uh, From the first moment that we've existed all the way until we stand before you, the just and merciful judge, uh, and for all of eternity. Lord, we ask for... uh, your providence, your, your wisdom, your grace to rain down upon our nation, uh, that would, we would be a country that stands unequivocally uh, for the dignity of all human life, from the moment it is first conceived to the moment it passes naturally into your, your embrace and your mercy. Oh, Heavenly Father, inspire our lawmakers, inspire our Supreme Court justices, inspire each one of us Uh, to be agents that build a culture of life, that cast out the spirit of indifference, that looks the other way from people who are suffering, people who are neglected, Uh, raise up in our hearts a a fervent and ardent desire to speak, to act, to do, to to be the culture of life that that, uh, you you have instituted, and it's, it's your desire for us. So, Father, rain down your grace upon us. We do pray for for all women and families in crisis pregnancy situations facing that most difficult uh, moment. We pray that you rain down upon them courage. You rain down upon them hope. You provide hearts and souls of people near them to say, we love you and we will support you uh, so that they can make the right choice, uh, that they will will fall into your providence and into uh, the love that you hold out for them. Uh, we pray that all children and all life, all of our brothers and sisters, be respected, be protected. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen. 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 Your Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for that. And again, the number to call, 678-688-4549. We are talking with Father Michael Silloway. He is the pastor of Christ, our King and Savior, and we are grateful for him calling in and doing this pre-recorded interview with us so that it can be played on Thursday. And so we are grateful for that. Any messages that you give him, it's just like any other any other time during the, the pledge drive. If you call in and give a message to Father, we'll make sure that he gets it. If you call in and become a founder, we'll ring the bell for him. If we make this pledge of $1,500, we'll ring the bell for him. So please just get on the phone and give us a call, 678 688 4549. You can also go to thequestatlanta.com and you can make a donation that way. And you can also type in your message that you want to give to Father Michael. All right, so so Father, 
I want to ask you, you, you talked earlier about being a normal teenager and want, wanting to be a pilot. So mm-hmm. how did that dream play out? Are you a pilot these days? No, no, unfortunately, although I, I still do um, have a, a, a terrible fascination with aviation. I can't help it. I've, I've heard this attributed to Leonardo da Vinci. It said, when once you have tasted flight, your head will forever be turned skyward. Mm. For there you have been, and there you will long to return. Mm. Um, and that is absolutely the truth. Any Anytime I get to travel anywhere, um, if I'm making a pilgrimage or... Uh, I work with the Archdiocese as a, an associate director of seminarians, so visiting my, my seminarians down in New Orleans or just a trip to visit family or vacation. One of my favorite parts of the whole thing is, is getting on the airplane and just mm-hmm. the, the whole experience of flight and uh, uh, always at the window seat anytime possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, uh, got into radio-controlled aviation as a teenager, so having radio-controlled airplanes, I, I've had a few helicopters in my day, and uh, getting to fly those around uh, and uh, to experience flight that way from the ground. But it was fun to build the airplanes, uh, to fly them, to repair them after I crashed them. <laughs> um, um, these days, uh, uh, I have a, 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 actually a very tremendous gift was given to me um, by a parishioner at uh, St. Andrew Kim in the Korean Martyrs Parish uh, of a, a drone, a quadcopter drone. Um, that's got that sweet camera on the front so I can send the thing up and, and get to experience you know, aerial views right there on my phone as I'm flying the thing around. Mm. Um, so um, that's, that's how I kind of live the dream now. Um, who knows, maybe, maybe if I get back into that shape I was in uh, in those, those days of the Air Force ROTC, um, and uh, I stumble upon a couple thousand dollars and, yeah. uh, and uh, a couple of months of free time, uh-huh. then uh, I might I might look at getting a pilot's license, but um, my, my primary responsibility is to my parish, and I can I can get just as much joy out of uh, flying on airplanes and through RC and through uh, watching airplane documentaries and talking to pilots and getting any opportunity to go flying up there if the um, parishioners or whatnot um, have private licenses and whatnot. So. The, the Lord has provided for me, and I've, I've never been wanting. Excellent, excellent. All right, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, your, you said you have two roles. One is the pastor of Christ, our King and Savior, and also as the associate for, for seminarians. So can we yes. talk a little bit about, first of all, what's going on as the pastor of Christ, our King and Savior? What are some of the, the things that you'd like to highlight about the parish? Well, first, I have to clarify that I'm not yet pastor. I'm, oh, I'm a uh, parochial administrator. Okay. It's fine. It's, it, I mean, for all intents and purposes, um, I'm the pastor. I just don't yet enjoy the um, the rights that canon law gives to a pastor. Okay. Um, so uh, for us first-time guys, uh, the archbishop, archbishop puts us on a, a year of administrator uh, kind of probation, as it were, just to um, to make sure everything goes well. Uh, you prove you've got enough leadership skills. You're not going to waste all the parish's money. You're not going to drive everybody away. Um, so then, after after a year of um, of faithful stewardship and good administration, and, and you know uh, faithful uh, shepherding of the people, uh, the archbishop will come and officially install me as pastor here. So I'm very much looking forward to that day. Um, and uh, so anyway, it's it's a canonical distinction, but but an important one. 
Okay. But so what's going on out here these days, um, I'm, I'm still just uh, getting to know the people. I've been here three months now. It'll be four months in November. Um, and just learning the families, learning the people, learning the area, learning the parish boundary. We're, we're the second largest parish by geography in the Archdiocese of Atlanta, second only to St. Peter's in LaGrange. They're the biggest geographical parish in terms of square mileage. Um, we're the second, which I was, I was shocked to learn because we, we encompass three counties out here, Greene County, Putnam County, and Hancock County. Um, so beautiful lake country, but then also a ton of farmland and uh, just a lot of undeveloped Georgia wilderness, uh, which is it's beautiful out here, absolutely beautiful. So uh, my priority has been uh, getting to know people, letting them get to know me piece by piece, um, uh, diving into the sacramental life here, obviously, with tons of masses, and we've got a, a great diverse community. Um, and uh, in particular, one of the, the big kind of things for me has been diving into Spanish ministry hmm. with our Hispanic community, um, which uh, my, my Spanish is, is uh, weak, um, but mm-hmm. the, the people are very, very, very patient with me, and they're, they're so loving and so joyful, and um, that's been a great experience. Uh, but it, so far, it's just been getting to know the people, getting to know the parish, um, and uh, just easing into one another that way. Uh, very, 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 very good. And how about with helping with the seminarians? What What is your role there? Yeah. So um, uh, under our, our former auxiliary bishop, uh, David Talley, uh, who was in charge of the vocations office, um, or oversaw the vocations office, uh, with Father Tim Hepburn as the vocations director. Um, uh, there were, I think, four of us, four priests, who were chosen to be associate directors of seminarians. So uh, we would assist the vocations director by taking some of the travel off of his plate so that he could stay here in Atlanta and visit parishes and visit our colleges and visit our high schools and promote vocations while we would go visit the seminaries and be the liaison for the Atlanta guys at the mm-hmm. different seminaries. So I was assigned to go be that role for the men that we have at Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And we started off with, I believe when I first went out there, we had six or seven guys, and now we have, I think it's 14, and I think and we plus two of them that are on pastoral year in the Archdiocese of Atlanta now, and then they'll go back to seminary. Uh, later. But what we do is we, we go out to the seminary twice a year. We meet with each man individually, just kind of get an update from him personally about how things are going and his discernment um, and kind of topical on the uh, prayer life and pastoral activity and academics. And then uh, we also meet with the formation faculty. So I usually have a sit down with the rector and uh, he gives me an update on the guys and how they're doing. And uh, we get to talk to their formation advisors as well. And so they know them uh, a little better and more intimately. And we take them out to dinner. We have a good time. Uh, let them know Atlanta loves them. We're praying for them, and we can't wait. So they're back in Atlanta as a summer seminarian in a parish somewhere. And uh, then, God willing, they're ordained a priest of Jesus Christ forever. Um, so it's a really cool role. It's, it's a lot of fun uh, to get to go to New Orleans and uh, to spend time uh, with guys, so many great guys, who uh, have hearts that are wide open to discern the call of the Lord. Mm. And uh, it'll be a really, really great day to see um, kind of the first crop of those that, that I've been with see them ordained. Mm. That'll, that'll be a great, 
great day. And what year will that be? How, how far off is that? Well, the first one um, will be kind of a, it's, it's a unique situation, but uh, we've got Deacon Mark White, who's down there right now, and he'll be ordained a priest uh, this summer. Oh, excellent. Um, so he'll be the first one. But he came in. He's a unique situation. I hope you guys get to talk to him at some point. He's a fascinating, fascinating man who, a convert, after having been in a Protestant seminary, mm. and then came in and, and became Catholic, and very soon after that felt the Lord still calling him to ministry. Mm. And uh, so he was ordained a deacon um, uh, just this past May, and uh, he'll be ordained a priest in, in June this coming year. Mm. Uh, so he'll be the first, but then after that, I think uh, we'll, it'll be two years after that for the next one to to rise up to the priesthood ordination. Excellent. Excellent. Sounds like you're you're doing very, very good things. So if there is a young man out there and they are listening and they are feeling a little bit of a tug and thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I should be thinking about this. Maybe God is calling me. Of all people, God is, is calling me. What should what should they do? Well the first step would be talk to God about it. Mm-hmm. Be honest. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm thinking these things, and am I crazy, or is it you? Mm-hmm. And see, see what resounds in the heart, because God's primary language is silence, and we have to spend time in silence with Him to understand what He's asking of us, mm-hmm. and to, to feel and truly understand those motions of the heart. And then shortly thereafter, I'd say, start talking to priests. Maybe go to your parish priest first and just say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I'm called to be a priest. I don't know. Don't be signing on any dotted lines. You're not, you're not being shipped off anywhere. But just starting the conversation with somebody who's been down the path of, of priestly discernment before, uh, who can help you and understand what's happening in your heart and what might the Lord be saying, and, and help you to pray. And then, um, if, if the, the desire for priesthood is still there, um, I'd say it'd be very beneficial to reach out to the vocations director, Father Tree Wynn. Um, uh, he's a great man. He's an awesome man for the job. And, uh, he, he has a lot, a lot of experience in vocational discernment. Um, so he'd be a great one to talk to. Again, a phone call does not mean you're getting sent off to seminary. Um, it just means you're, you're being open and you're being honest and transparent with the Lord. And that's, that is the absolutely necessary seed ground, uh, for a vocation to develop. I remember even something that gave me great consolation early on was when I was kind of hesitant about, do I even ask for an application? Do I, do I even dive into this thing? Was the idea that no matter what, if, if I really truly give myself to discerning the priesthood, and even if I find out the priesthood's not for me, God's not calling me to the priesthood, I, was, I took so much comfort in the fact that I'm probably going to be just a better man uh, for having spent a year, two years, three years, whatever of my life, praying more, of seeking God, of learning Scripture, of learning about the Church, of learning about uh, the mission of Christ, uh, that's just going to make me a better man, and, and it'll make me a better husband, it'll make me a better father. Um, so I took a lot of comfort in that, that if the Lord reveals to me, no, I, I needed you to give me your whole heart and to trust me, but priesthood's not for you, then... Imagine, imagine the grace and the goodness of, of fatherhood and, and being a husband. Um, so I took a lot of comfort in that, yes. that God's going to make you a better man just for the fact that uh, you're being open and you're seeking. And, and you know, I, I 
maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Some some men say, well, I don't really want to go in until I know this is really what my call is. So what would you say to something like that? I would say that's, uh, that's kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. because, because uh, you really can't know until you've, you've been in seminary and started living, even, even in kind of a, a simple and, and truncated way, the life of a priest. Life in the seminary is not really hardly parallel to the life of a priest, but, but that life of discernment and that, that act of discerning that only seminary can provide, that's a necessary element. I, I would be very hesitant about a man who was certain about his call to the priesthood, mm. but had never been through formal discernment and hadn't set foot in a seminary and hadn't submitted himself to spiritual direction and to uh, the formation process. You, you would hope that, that a man would have some conviction and confidence, uh, but, but a kind of absolute certainty without ever having lived the life and experienced seminary, um, yeah, that, that would be kind of a, a warning flag. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say it's, it's kind of good to go into seminary with, with questions and with unsurety, um, because that's where you go to find out. Very good. All right, well, I'm going to give out the number again. We only have about three and a half minutes left in this interview, and so I want to give out the number so people can call 678-688-4549. Again, that's 678-688-4549. We are talking with Father Michael Silloway. He is the parochial administrator for Christ our King and Savior. See, Father, even old dogs can learn new tricks. So I I changed it there. There I did. Parochial administrator for Christ our King and Savior. And we are grateful for him being with us today in this pre-recorded interview that we're doing. And we have learned so much for him. So, Father, I want to give you these last three minutes, whatever you would like to share. And then if you would also give your blessing out to each of us in the studio and out through the airwaves to the potential. 3.1 million listeners that we can reach plus everyone that that's streaming it so that it's endless the amount of people that can receive your blessing which i think is just amazing it's just a really cool thing that we can go out to so many people amen to that sure thing um i guess what's what's in my heart at this moment uh, to share with the listening audience of the quest uh, would be the the church is in a time right now uh, we need faithful disciples of Christ to stand and speak boldly and passionately and with great conviction uh, about the truth of the gospel, mm. about uh, the truth of the church. Uh, we've got so many wounds. We've got so many questions. And uh, what, what we need is to, to know that we're standing on the sure ground of the gospel. It's a rock underneath our feet, a rock set high up above uh, where we cannot reach. Uh, but the Lord, He can put us there and keep us safe. So I just want to speak a word of encouragement uh, to so many of our Catholic brothers and sisters uh, feeling kind of the, the frustration, the, the hurt, uh, the, the kind of the weight of this moment uh, that we're experiencing, and do not lose hope. Uh, just with John Paul II's feast day yesterday, uh, a huge kind of surge in my own heart and my own prayer has been his words from his first homily as Pope. Open the doors of your heart to Christ. Mm. Through open the doors of your heart to love of God. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of Christ. Go out into the deep and lower your nets for a catch. Um, 
the Lord Jesus is still with his church. He will never abandon us. The gates of hell will not prevail. The truth will be made known. Christ will be victorious. Um, so that is, I guess, what I, I would want to leave with our audience today is do not be afraid. Christ is with his church, and he will not abandon us. So, Heavenly Father, we turn to you again, uh, grateful for this opportunity uh, to, to speak of you, to speak of what you've done, to speak of what you are doing. Uh, we thank you for the Quest uh, radio station. We thank you for all those who have pledged and all those who will pledge. Inspire great generosity in the hearts of your people. Rain down your blessing upon everyone in the studio, everyone in the listening audience. Pour out your blessing upon me and this beautiful parish here, too, that we may always do your will with joy and with gratitude for your blessings. And may Almighty God bless you and all your listeners in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Father. It was wonderful to be able to talk with you. And again, the number to call, 678 688 Nine. We've been talking with Father Michael Silloway. He is the parochial administrator at Christ our King and Savior, and we are grateful for your time. Thank you again.